This podcast has a Patreon page, and several wonderful people have signed up to support my work. They are Sean Poole, David Jennifer Evers, Jeff Omar, my John Hyatt sister Sylvan, Liz Brunson, Yetta, Steve Vansack, Randy Brown, Rob Barnett, Bella Pori, John Munson, Bessie Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, Dale Hozak, Music Talks, Terry Smith, and Mary Thomas. I appreciate all the love and support from these wonderful friends. If you want to support the podcast and have your name read, get unedited episodes of the podcast, often in video, occasional posts from me about a wide range of subjects, and a handwritten thank you note, plus set lusting through stickers, go to patreon.com and search for set lusting groups you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and now on with the podcast my goal is i so i have my guests come on and i ask them to introduce themselves right first and i take it from there that's where the the psychological training comes from okay because some people i'll have an author come on who wants to hype their book. So I, sure. I always ask somebody to come on, I want you to introduce you, yourself and I want you to hype your work. And so they'll do that. And sometimes they'll be like, this is my work. And then they'll say something. And the next thing I know, we're talking about conspiracy theories or their third grade teacher or their pets or like, who knows? Mm-hmm. Other times people stay extremely focused on the message, the book, the product, the show, and whatever. And either way, it's fine with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up. And I am talking to my new friend, Kate. We've spent 10 minutes talking to each other before we started the podcast. This is going to be a fun one. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. 10 minutes in podcasting years, that's like a decade that we've known each other now. Absolutely, yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. I currently am a podcaster. My show is called Ignorance Was Bliss. I've been around since 2018. I have almost 500 episodes. It's not an addiction. I can stop anytime I want. I'm mother to four. Older kids, my oldest is 23, my youngest just turned 11, and I am going for full coverage on the medical bingo board. Okay. I have a lot of weird things wrong with me, and so I'm on permanent disability. Prior to that, I worked as a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and you can take me out of the prison, but you can't take that knowledge out of me and so in 
2018, I, I was like, I got to do something with this. And I also want to have a hobby in which my kids can't talk to me yeah. <laughs> for just a little while, once in a while, because I was starting to feel like the supporting character to their lives rather than a lead role in my own life. And so I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. And it started off first very sort of true crime adjacent because that's what forensic psychology is and after a while i was like well but i want to talk to other people too not just crime people it's just meant to be conversations about who are you how'd you hey, what what happened mm -hmm. <laughs> how'd you end up here in one way or another and so i pulled the lens back and i talked to podcasters and actors and authors and really anybody willing to sit down on a Zoom call with me. I think that's wonderful. I am a big believer that the rising tide raises all boats. I am I love people that are podcasting and I talk to when people ask advice. I mention, okay, make sure it's something you love talking about and that you would be happy doing if even no one listens. And then don't be afraid to change. And I started mine in 2017. I'm a little over a thousand episodes. And I started out mostly talking to Bruce fans. And even at the beginning, I did what I called B-side episodes where people were passionate about other bands. I was old enough to remember an A-side and a B-side on a 45. So I thought that was a pretty clever name. And over the years, I've just really worked on trying to diversify my guest. And at the end of 2020, I realized that if I wasn't careful, that this podcast would be nothing but me talking to a bunch of old white guys, which are perfectly fine because I'm an old white guy and I love Bruce Springsteen. But I wanted more than that. I wanted I wanted to have different voices and I wanted to talk to different people and share different stories. So good for you to expand that your tent, so to speak, in your storytelling. Good for you. It's been a lot of fun. I start every episode. with. It's funny to me because people will like email me a pitch. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Not only am I not going to read your book before you come on my show, but I'm not even going to read your pitch. And it's not because I refuse to care. It's because I want to come in without an agenda or talking points. And so I start every one of my episodes with a blank piece of paper in front of me to take notes. And we just go from there. And if I like what you have to say and I like what you're selling me, then I'll buy your book. And if I don't, then neither of us have wasted our time because I'll still release your episode. Sure. But it's just that sort of free-flowing. That's the thing that I tell people about podcasting is don't start. Just First of all, just start, hit publish, and don't be afraid to change it once you figure out what the secret sauce was. So for me, I started thinking because all of the podcasts I listened to were very scripted. Mm -hmm. and structured and had like a narrative style to them and i did that for a couple of episodes and it felt like work without getting paid for it and i was like this isn't fun i don't want to do this and then i had on like my fourth or fifth episode i happened to connect with somebody and on twitter and she was like let's talk 
let's just have a conversation right now. And I ran downstairs and hooked up. This is back mm-hmm. in the days of Uber conference. Like it was before Skype even recorded. But right. It was way back. And that was the first episode where when I was done, I couldn't wait to release it. And I had more energy after recording than I did before. And I realized that's what it is. That's what I bring to the podcasting space is my ability to to roll with it and talk to people and connect with people. And so I turned my whole premise on its head because I thought I was going to do a series of lectures and learning to let go of that and just play with whatever you're good at because you are an expert at something, whether you know it or not. That's where the sweet spot is. Yeah, and I'm a firm believer that I, I get a little pushback of I'm not very interesting. I don't have a great story. And I'm like, everyone has a story. I believe that, and specifically, I believe every Springsteen fan has a story. I believe every person has a story that's willing to share. And so my job, my mission is to collect those and get them out there and share um, because your experience is unique. No one else has gone through your journey. And so to share that, will help bring enlightenment to people. It will bring joy to people. It will help them. It will entertain them. And sometimes it will help them learn. So I just think it's the right thing to do. I fully agree. I I fully agree. If you tell me, oh, I'm boring. I don't have a story to tell. That's like waving a red flag at a bull. I'm ready to go charging in right there because my my favorite example is that I had a guy tell me that once and I pushed a little and then I'll take no for an answer, but I pushed mm-hmm. a little and he agreed to come on my show. He had a bunch of really interesting hobbies. And so I thought we were going to talk about that. And mm-hmm. five minutes in, he mentions being in his thirties and having been diagnosed with autism and what that mm-hmm. was like. And that's where the episode went. And I've gotten more listener feedback from that more emails and dms and interactions yeah. i think differently about myself about my family about my friends i'm going to call my doctor and make an appointment like whatever it is that they're saying sure. and that's magical it really isn't it yeah all right i always like to start at the beginning so talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were youngster i grew up in upstate new york And I escaped to New England in my early 20s. So I've been in New England longer than I lived in New York. But that's where the roots were. My parents were very young when they had me. I was, I I was, I'm a child of the 80s, born in the late 70s, child of the 80s. But that's the music that I grew up listening to because my parents had me at 17. So my dad was big into rock, sort of anything from arena rock to he liked Bruce Springsteen he liked Rush he liked a lot of the sort of old white guy bands yeah and my mother never really had a genre that she could identify as clearly I think because she spent a lot of time judging other people for what they like to listen to but that's fine what it meant is that she listened to a lot of different stuff And I would pick up on, okay, I like this. I like the Dire Straits era, not such a fan of the Anya era, like the whatever. And that's how I learned a lot about music and a lot of contemporary music. Yeah. So when I I find there's two kinds of people that join me 
and this is of course just generalization, but the people that embraced their parents' music and then as they grew older, expanded their own listening and just never abandoned their parents' music, but just added to it. Or the people that went absolutely the other way, had no interest in their parents' music, found their own, and then when they were about 30, realized that maybe this Johnny Cash guy was pretty good and I should go back. <laughs> Do you, how are you one or the other? See, okay, here you're about to learn a thing about me is that if you give me A and B, I always find C. Okay, that's good. And, and my answer was I pulled my parents into my music. Ah, that's very nice. Now, what, because what kind they were of music? So young. It started with going to concerts. That, okay. That, so I, we grew up dirt poor. We grew up trailer park, homeless for a while, that kind of thing. And so going to concerts and travel, those were things that I had no experience with. And then I, I got a job and I went to college. I left right after I turned 16 to go to college uh, for mm -hmm. a lot of complicated, heavy emotional reasons. But I got a job, I had an apartment, and that was the first time in my life that I had disposable income. And I, this concept of going to see bands who were playing live. Mm -hmm. And when I was seeing bands that at the time were small acts, they were playing in college gyms near me but it was like the band live nine uh -huh. inch nails mm. bare naked ladies they all came through and were doing college shores mighty boss tones were you played yeah. on the hockey rink at the college where i went to like and so that's where it started is i would have my parents come join me at concerts and they mm -hmm. had only been to one or two concerts before themselves and so that's how we bonded Okay. You know, to the extent that we were able. So like the first big concert I went to, like stadium concert was Garth Brooks. I don't care about Garth Brooks. Like I don't hate him. I don't love him, whatever, but he puts on a good show. And what I learned was if you have the opportunity to go see a show live, take it. Yeah. They won't all be good, but sometimes the story is there. And so I've been a big fan of live music my entire adult life. And I like to hope that I brought my parents along with me to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my mother's up to. Now, my father died in 2019. I don't know what my mother, I, there's no contact between my mother and I now, but I do know that she attends a lot more concerts than she used to. So I hope that is some positive thing that I left in her life. One of the things that we're all affected by our parents, and so it's nice that you've passed on something to them, right? That's a lovely thing to do. What did you go to school for? I don't have any easy answers. So I went to an engineering school. I started okay. off studying mechanical engineering and then business with the idea that I was going to work in maybe HR or something like that. And I hated it. It was boring. It, it wasn't engaging, and I don't know if engineers super well, but where I went to school is on the Canadian border in upstate New York. It's as okay. north as you can go. Like the, the nearest cities are Montreal and Ottawa. Okay. And so it's cold all the time. It, it snows from October to May 
every year and it's dark all the time and everybody's miserable and so it's a bunch of engineers with very dry senses of humor and it's dark and it's just blech. and so i didn't like what i was doing but i thought that was the rule like i yeah. thought you were supposed to hate your job i thought you sure. were supposed to hate your work whatever and then i got sick my junior year and had to take medical leave and while i was in the hospital at that time somebody brought me the book because kids back before there were audiobooks there were actual books that someone could physically bring you if you were in the hospital so somebody brought me the book mind hunter which is what the netflix series was later based on and i read it and i was like i could do this this guy sounds like he likes his job and also i could do this and so i ended up when i returned to school i dropped all of my engineering classes i graduated as the only psychology major period of my graduating class and moved out to boston i got my master's degrees in criminal justice and mental health counseling and then i went on and got my doctorate in clinical psychology and so i ended up studying working in the forensic field and the crisis field until i went on disability what do you think, why did that speak to you? What in your background do you think helped you? Why do you think that was something that spoke to you? There's a lot of mental health issues in my family. And okay. I think a lot of us are drawn to the field of mental health because we want to be the person that we wish had been around or we want to understand what was wrong with that person. I didn't want myself, I didn't want to be a cop. So I initially started following the Mindhunter path, which is FBI and profiling. And then I realized I don't want to be a cop. I don't want guns in my home. I don't want that lifestyle where you're on the road 48 weeks out of the year. So instead, I'm going to talk to the, the inmates after they're caught. That's what forensic psychology is. It's any sort of assessment or sort of therapy, although therapy looks different inside prison or when it's mandated. But still, I working with people who are involved in the criminal justice system. And some of it, I think, I'm sure has to do with being desperate to support myself. And that's why I started with engineering, because I thought four years, I'll get a degree and I can work and that's fine. And then realizing that wasn't enough just to have a job. I needed a job that engaged me, but I still needed to be pretty practical about it. And so I followed a path that had a lot of some sometimes if some people go for the doctorate, they enter and it's like a six year program. And then you eventually finish with your doctorate. But what if you get sick? What if you get bored? What if you hate the subject matter? I had already done that once. So I, that's why I got master's degrees first. And so I actually have, I have three master's degrees and then a doctorate because I kept wanting to give myself the option of stopping here and working, which means I had a ton of student loans, but I'm on disability now, so they were forgiven. It's fine. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stephanie Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. That's nice. That's great. I... the. When you were doing this, talk about with psych with the psychologist or psychologist mm-hmm. or going to therapy, you're usually helping someone reach a goal. Is this different with this kind of work with inmates? I'm a terrible therapist. Okay. I don't want I never wanted to practice therapy. I'm terrible right. at it because to be a good therapist, you have to crawl inside somebody's head and see how they see the world. Okay. And then you've got to back out of their head and nudge them towards solving their own problems okay you can't fix another person yeah and also i just i tend to be rapid fire okay and therapy needs a much more sort of gentle and patient approach and i had the option of being a good therapist or a good mother but i didn't think it could be both Mm -hmm. so i went i focused more on assessments instead so forensic psychology it's assessments for competency to stand trial you hear about people not guilty by reason of insanity that kind of thing that was me that had to come up with that determination you had to figure out diagnosis you had to figure out where should they be housed can they be safely held in the general population of a prison or do they need a special mental health unit or a psych hospital altogether and then it, after a while the past the last few years that i worked i left the forensic world and i went into crisis assessment which is primarily in the emergency room sometimes okay. also in offices or private homes or schools whenever somebody walks in 
with suicidal or homicidal thoughts or a psychotic break, bipolar episodes, those sorts of things, sometimes substance abuse issues, and it hits a point of crisis, and you got to figure out what next. Sure. Can we set you up with a plan to send you home and you'll be okay? Or do you need to be put inpatient, either in detox and rehab or in... A, an inpatient psychiatric, like a, they call it a Baker actor, a 5150. It's called different things in different states, but it, but an involuntary psych hold or a voluntary mm-hmm. admission. And that was my job. And that was very fast paced. That was very, there's always four people stacked up in line at the ER waiting to be seen. And so you got to just, you hit the ground running. And I really, that works well for my brain. I was going to say, it sounds like that would be something that that quick pace helped you feel like you're making a difference and accomplishing things, correct? And there was a guy at the time that I was studying my doctorate, there was a guy named Stephen Finn, actually out of Texas. Good things do happen in Texas. Good for you. Yes, yes. Uh, who, he wrote a paper about how a well-done assessment, he meant like a diagnostic assessment where you do a lot of interviewing and a lot of different tests, like the raw shock, the ink plot test or other psychological tests, intelligence tests, that kind of thing. But sure. I extrapolate it also to crisis assessment that, but his theory was that a well done assessment is just as not curative, but helpful okay. as a solid course of therapy. It's just, condensed down because his theory was that sort of curative helpful piece is the feeling of being understood the feeling of not being crazy and i really could see that a lot i could see all the time people would say nobody's ever said that to me before can you be my therapist and i'd be like you'd hate me as a therapist but thank you and and but absolutely in 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 what i got to do was such a privilege you watch a lot of tv where they talk about forensics and they talk about crisis they talk about serial killers they talk about people who are suicidal but i got to sit in the room with these people And I got to see how the system actually works or doesn't work. And the I got to see the humanity behind the acts, behind the words. And that was always, like I always ended every interaction by thanking people because they didn't have to talk to me. I can't pull words out of you. Sure. And so it was just, it was a joy. Um, I broke my back in 2014, and that's when I went on disability, and I miss it. I still miss it now. I just picked up a podcast as, a, as another way of getting people to talk to me. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because I was wondering, my, I've got a family member that ended up having to go on disability, and it took her a while, and I think they still struggle sometimes with what is my purpose now? What do I do? Is there a reason why this path was chosen for me? It sounds like you were very active, very busy. Was that a rough transition for you, Kate? I moped for four years straight. 
Okay. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I moped <laughs> like a professional. I okay. really, and, and like I said, I just, I, at the very years and years ago, prior to this all happening, I, I had hit sort of a dark night of the soul and needed myself to be admitted to a psychiatric unit for suicidal ideation. I never acted on it and I never followed through, but still I knew what that was like. And I knew I never would act on it again. But when I first went on disability, the mindset was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die by suicide, which means this is it. Yeah, this is as much as I have already accomplished everything I'm going to accomplish in this life. And that has to be good enough. And I'm here to stand behind my kids and cheer them on. But that's it. And that was rough, that feeling of not being relevant to the world, not being competent, not feeling smart anymore. And starting the podcast again was tremendously helpful to me in realizing that, no, I still have stuff to offer. I can say now, when people ask me what I do, I can say, I can say something because we're such a capitalistic society that we judge people based on how do you earn your money and how do you spend your time? And for a long time, it was, what do you do? Oh, I'm on disability. I don't do anything. And that, that feels awful. Yeah. And now I can say I'm a podcaster. Like I, I earn, I tell people it's full-time work for part-time pay. It's not like it's a, I'm not rolling in it, but I earn money enough that my hobby is not a drain on the family household income, mm-hmm. which is helpful. And when I have other hobbies as well, and that helps, especially because for me, I'm a very visual and tactile person. So one of my hobbies is knitting. And, and so that helps a lot because you have a visible and tangible proof that something was done today. Sure. But for one, one, one thing I had to learn how to do was fully divorce myself from the concept of everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Because no, it doesn't. I firm, firmly believe because what that implies is that you earned whatever happened to you. And in 2010, I basically died in childbirth. I didn't do anything wrong. I followed all of my doctor's orders. The baby was born healthy. Someone in the delivery room had strep throat. That's all it was. But I ended up in a coma for 10 days and in the hospital for six weeks and on home health care for a year. And I didn't do anything to deserve that. So I don't believe everything happens for a reason. But I do believe that if you give it enough time and you have enough life behind you, you can find how that thing fits into your life now. Yeah. And so in, in our in that case, in the case of me getting sick in 2010, we had to hire a nanny because I was so, so I had a 10 year old and a five year old and a newborn. And I would just, the energy would just drain out of me like a sieve. And my husband's a college professor at the time. And so he had to go back to work. And so we hired this nanny, good nanny. She did a good job. She got how we functioned. And then we went our separate ways eventually i went back to work and Mm -hmm. she moved out and she ended up having a baby 
as a single mother on purpose as a single mother. Okay. And it turns out she's a terrible mother. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know this. I like, I, I knew that she wasn't equipped necessarily to be a single mom, but lots of us aren't equipped to do things and we figure it out when you have to. In her case, she didn't figure it out. But in, but what she did do was when, just after the baby turned two, she called me in the middle of the night and said, here's all the things that are going wrong in my life. I can't handle it. Can I drop the baby off at your house and check myself into the hospital? And the answer was like, of course. Sure. Of course you can. And so we spent the next four months trying to help her get on her feet again. She was in the mm-hmm. hospital for a week and a half. And then yeah. she had so many therapists and so many caseworkers and whatever around her. And at the end of four months, I realized she's making poor life choices. And by that, she was engaging in sex work out of my home and she was trying to steal my children's identity. Mm. And so we invited her to move out. Yeah. But we told her, you can leave the baby with us if you want, and, and we'll keep her here and we'll keep her safe. Or you can take her with you, but you got to go. Yeah. And she decided to leave the baby with us. Mm-hmm. She was like, it'll be easier for me to get an apartment and get a job. Solo. Okay. Good luck. We'll, we'll you know, we'll let us know when you want to see the kid and when you want to get together. And she called me two weeks later to say, I'm never going to get better. You keep her. Mm. So I have four kids. Yeah. We ended up filing for adoption within the week. Mm-hmm. And that's my 11-year-old. And so did I get sick in 2010? Did I deserve to? No. And might I have ended up adopting the same child through some other pathway? Probably not, but maybe. Yeah. But the point is, if I'd not gotten sick in 2010 chances are we wouldn't have had this fourth kid and she people will say oh you're so good for adopting her and it's like you just i had a child in my house that needed help sure there's nothing magical there but more to the point she brings more to us than we bring to her yeah and so that's one thing that i had to work my way through yeah. After getting sick. And the other thing is I used to work by to-do list. Like I lived and died by the to-do list every day. Mm-hmm. And I had, because of the coma, I had brain damage. And so I, I now have ADHD when I didn't used to. And pe- one thing with a- people with ADHD have often have a hard time with to-do lists. We have a hard time prioritizing what do you write down? What do you not write down in, in what order? And how do you do sure. it? And so there were days where I would feel like I'm accomplishing nothing. I'm doing mm-hmm. nothing with my life. Everything sucks. This is pathetic. And so I, I learned instead, I, like I'm also not great at journaling, partly because I lost the ability to handwrite in the coma and had to relearn. And so okay. writing for me was a very slow process, but I kept a journal at bedside. And when I hit those dark, nights afterward and i needed tangible proof i was here i accomplished something today instead of writing a to-do list i would write down everything i had done that day and everything from made a bowl of cereal Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or checked the mail. Like it didn't matter how small it was. Yeah. But if you write it all down, you realize I got a solid list of 10 things that I did today. Like I, I did some things. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just pathetic. And if I hadn't accomplished anything, then I, the, the habit I picked up was to start, I would randomly text five or 10 of my friends and mm-hmm. tell them, hey, I'm just thinking about you, about you, you matter. I hope you're doing okay. And then I could write that down on my list and say, I did that thing. Yeah. And that felt like I had brought meaning back into my own life. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I still, I don't do that every night now, but I have learned that there's different ways to measure. Am I earning my place in the world? Yeah, you were talking about plans, and one of my favorite lines is from the TV series Babylon 5, written by J. Michael Skravinsky. And there's a character that says, I used to think it was awful that life was so unfair. Then I thought, wouldn't it be much worse if life were fair, and all the terrible things that happen to us come because we actually deserve them? I now take great comfort in the general hostility and unfairness of the universe. It is the, my, when I'm pushed for my favorite Bruce song, there's two, and one of them is Better Days. And the lines go, sitting around waiting for my life again while it was all just slipping away. And I just find great, I I find purpose in that these are the better days. Even when things are bad, this is the better days. And too many people wait that when I get that promotion at work, then I'll be happy. When I get the kids out of diapers, then I'll be happy. Versus enjoying that time, even that struggle, if it's really hard, and it may be a weird thing of not enjoying it, but savoring that you're on a journey and and the experiences you're having. Yeah, exactly. And when you just, you can't know. And I, I've, I've lost people one way or the other, whether it means to death or lost them through their own actions or my own. Yeah. And sometimes you can see it coming. Yeah. Sometimes you can look at a relationship or at a person's life and, and you have some heads up that they're in the hospital, they're on hospice care, whatever, that kind of thing. Or this yeah. relationship is going south and it's just a matter of time. And then mm-hmm. other times it's, I woke up this morning and I thought I was fine. And the next thing I knew, everything had changed. Yeah. And so learning to make sure I, things are good enough right now. They're as good mm-hmm. as I can make them. And would I choose to have gone through some of the stuff? No, no, nobody right. wants. It's crappy to be in the hospital for six weeks. It's crappy to break your back. Don't do it. I'm telling you. Right. I yes. make it look fun and sexy, but I'm tell- it's not fun at all. And yeah. But in those moments, sometimes I had to pull the horizon in really close to me. I couldn't think about what am I going to do next year? Or, or what am I going to do next week? I had to focus on, okay, I'm just going to take another breath and I'm going to keep taking breaths until yeah. it feels a little bit better. Sure. That makes sense. You've talked a little bit about the podcast, but I'm going to go back there for a minute. Remind, remind the listeners again, the name of the podcast. Ignorance was bliss. And 
you episodes come out weekly? <laughs> I don't know. They come out whenever they want to come out. I decided very early on that I was not going to worry about a okay. schedule because that stresses me out. Okay. Makes sense. And I'll push myself too hard. I'll miss sleep or okay. push my body too hard in different ways if I do that. So instead, there have been weeks where I've had five episodes comes out. Then there's been times where I've gone a month without any episodes. Okay. So you've talked about you like having no format, but this sounds like it's a conversation. That yeah. this is the whole, and whatever the theme happens to be, there is just you talking to someone and you guys having a conversation is the premise of the podcast. My goal is I, so I have my guests come on and I ask them to introduce themselves. Right. First. And I take it from there. That's where the, the psych, psychological training comes from. Okay. It's because some people I'll have an author come on who wants to hype their book. So I, sure. I always ask somebody to come on, I want you to introduce you, yourself and I want you to hype your work. Sure. And so they'll do that. And sometimes they'll be like, this is my work. And then they'll say something. And the next thing I know, we're talking about conspiracy theories or their third grade teacher or their pets or like, who knows? Mm -hmm. Other times people stay extremely focused on the message, the book, the product, the show they're sure. in, whatever. And either way, it's fine with me. Yeah. Do have you learned anything about yourself doing the podcast? I've learned not to, I've learned how to do a lot of things, things like not to apologize. Sure. That to take more control over a conversation than I'm necessarily used to taking. Mm -hmm. I've learned a ton about editing and that whole side of things because that's, I, I'm deaf. And so that's a part of the world that I never thought I could do a podcast, but I hear about 25% of what normal people do. Okay. And so learning workarounds and tips and tricks there so that there's a lot i've learned that i am not as useless and mindless and irrelevant as i thought i was are there a couple of episodes you're especially proud of kate and i know that's like picking kids but like i said there's one where i you know, the the one where the guy talks about and i can't throw out numbers anymore because there are too many of them but the, the one where the guy talks about having been diagnosed with autism like that was a helpful thing and the thing is it every episode it sounds cheesy but every episode for the most part is my favorite while i'm working with it sure. and then i have to set it aside and focus on the next one and make that my favorite even when i hate it okay so like my most recent I, I'm talking with a woman, uh, and she was a producer for reality TV shows, and she has a podcast now. So shout out to Rena from Better Call Daddy. Her okay. podcast is with her father and in the life lessons kind of approach. And I really liked how we vibed, and I really liked how we connected. So right now, that's a favorite. In two months, I may have another one that comes to mind immediately. I can definitely think of some that I hated, that 
there are guests. I have on my phone, I have an actual no list. Okay. In Google Notes, in Google Keep or whatever it's called, where, because I'm geared to say, oh yeah, sure, you can come on my show. But once in a while, I'll see a name and I'll be like, wait, let me check. Because I may not remember why you're on the no list, but if you're on the no list, the answer is a hard no. As a for instance, there's one guy, like I, if, if I have you on and we complete the conversation, I will release your episode. That's sure. a given. But this one guy was very anti-vax, anti-medication, and anti-conspiracy theory, a little bit of an incel sprinkling in there. There were a lot of things that I wasn't crazy about. And I recorded with him in, I want to say March of this year, maybe April. Okay. And that's, I was super sick with another new ailment as I said, medical bingo. And the nature of this latest ailment was that I had not kept food down. I haven't kept solid food down since January. I'm okay. on IV nutrition. And yeah. so somehow that came up. He asked something about my eating habits or whatever. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't have those. I don't have eating habits right now. That's not a thing that I'm doing. And, yeah. and he was like, oh, you know what that means you should do. And I'm like, first of all, I hate the word should, don't. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You tell yeah. me. Give me unsought, unsolicited advice. You should fast. Fasting will solve your problems. And I was like, my guy, my yeah. buddy. If yeah. fasting was what the answer would have been i'd be cured by now mm -hmm. so i hated him i hate a lot of what he stood for plus the whole time he's talking to me about how he's living this pure life and whatever he's drinking beer on camera so i'm like what are you doing yeah like, just which is it pick yeah okay so he's on my no list he, he won't come back on the show so i've had episodes like that but the thing is, there are times where I'll think that episode flopped. Right. I'll I'll go through the editing process. I'll, I'll put I, I put an in my own intro and outro on each one after we're done recording. And I'll think, ah, this is just vanilla. I, I just I don't feel like it really hit. Didn't pop. Yeah, in some way, but I told them I'd release the episode and whatever. And what I found is sometimes those episodes are ones that I'll have listeners respond really well to. I yeah. really like this episode. This was really interesting. I heard about this or whatever. And I'm like, that's why you keep doing it is because it doesn't matter what my favorite episodes are. What matters are some of them are going to resonate with the listeners and others will not. And mm -hmm. my show is not meant to be listened from episode one on through my yeah. show is meant to be dip in if the topic interests you or the speaker interests you dip out if it doesn't and i'm never gonna know yeah absolutely i would like to get just back for are you still a live concert goer yeah i'm actually wearing right now my t-shirt that i picked up at boston calling this year so starting this year we've started going again and it's harder post-pandemic mm -hmm. it's harder yeah. and as well being on the IV nutrition sure. I'm really in I have to make sure that I know where the medics are and I'm really prone to dehydration so we just we had to everything about it wasn't just buy tickets and show up to a concert sure but we were able to do it and we were able to go and we had a great time okay 
as a mom, what are some of the lessons you're tr that you've gone through with your life that you're trying to teach your children? It's not about not screwing up. I think a lot of moms, especially in the age of social media, work really hard on trying to match these other cute family lives that we yeah. see on social media, the Facebook happy smile, Instagram family, that yeah. kind of thing. And the reality is it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to screw up. It's okay to get sick. It's it, all of that's fine. What matters is how do you deal with it? And my husband and I, we've been married almost 23 years now. And we always had from early on the understanding that we're going to argue in front of the kids that's fine because kids know when parents are arguing regardless sure. the trick is you have to resolve the argument in front of them as well right so if i fall down if i get sick that's fine that the kids see that the trick is that they need to see me see to my own health mm -hmm. afterwards so that's a big one. And I'm also, I want my kids to learn about bodily autonomy, like consent. Those are things that a lot of people still feel like I get to hug kids because you're a kid and I get to hug you because I want to. And teaching my children, especially my youngest, the, yeah. the kiddo that I talked about being adopted, she has autism. And so she's uncomfortable with physical touch, but also she's really uncomfortable saying no. And so we've practiced that like you, nobody else owns your body. You own your body. And yeah, if you don't want to give somebody a hug, you don't give them a hug. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's so important that, and there is a lot of pressure often to conform the, I just had someone on yesterday that or on the podcast that talked about the power of no and how to say no. And, and I think our discussion was, especially among women in corporate life, you tend to yes, and you fix things. And, and you say, I'm sorry a lot, even if it wasn't your fault. And so we had a really great conversation about that. So I think that's an important message to share and to talk about it. What's next for you? What do you want to do next creatively? I tend to stay very in the moment with my health. I had some pl plans for, I've had other podcasts before, like secondary ones that have come and gone. Okay. And I had an idea for a like, deep dive true crime one. I did the FOIA request. I have a, a box of papers for it. I had started doing the research and the writing and then I got sick. Okay. And so that's sitting to the side. And so I'm very much in the moment right now about I want to keep my show going and I want to keep a knitting project going. I want to get my kids back to school. I'm a witness in a court case next week. Those are the things that I'm focusing okay. on. And, and look, your average person is like, oh, God, jury duty. I don't want to go. And I'm a forensic psychologist. I am so freaking excited to get oh, back I in bet. the witness box. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, yes. Yeah. It's things. It's I have ideas. I have wishes for things that I would like to do, whether it's concerts I want to attend or 
places I want to go or projects I want to embark upon, but it's real, it's really realistic that my life expectancy is pretty short. I've came extraordinarily close to being put back in a coma in March of this year. And so I have to live with that as my reality that I'm 46 and I'm past, past middle-aged. And so if I set myself for too many, get this, do this, do that, do all this, then I'm going to be disappointed in myself if I don't get to them. Okay. So instead I say very much in the moment and what I'm doing, what's important to me right now is this conversation right now. Yeah. What have I not asked you that I should have, Kate? Allegedly nothing. Okay. Very nice. I like that. I am looking forward to sampling your podcast. I think it sounds like a wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I am so glad we reached. How do you find your guests? Again, it's random. I used to, I had two, two, two approaches. One is people come to me. Yeah. Now I'm on a couple of clearinghouses, Podmatch and Podbooker, that kind of thing. Um, Or I'll get notes from people through Facebook or I'm a, a couple of, publicists uh, have me on their email list okay. and so they'll contact me but i also what while i am reading or scrolling through facebook or whatever like twitter yeah. so, so for instance there was a, a hugo award winner uh, a couple of years ago who uh, whose project was about it was a, a trans woman texting themselves prior to transition as though it was from a an altered dimension, the concept of yeah. alternate timelines. And, and I, I, it, it, her, the, her name is Blue Newsfelter, and I wish I could remember the name of the project, but it's just really moving for me, especially having a child that's trans. And yeah. so I... I've learned to just start asking. And so another example is there's a slam poet. And I'm not especially into slam poetry. Like I'm not that classy. But <laughs> there's a slam poet named Taylor Molly who has a back from back around 1998, 99. He came out with a thing. Look it up on YouTube. It's called What Teachers Make. Okay. And my husband is a teacher. And it's this incredibly powerful spoken word okay. moment. And something reminded me of the existence of Taylor Molly in some way. I don't remember what it was. But I was like, I'm going to ask. Okay. What do you know? And that's how Taylor Molly ended up on my podcast. And Or I'll read a book and I'll be like, I really like this book. I really like this podcast. And I've started just asking because if you don't ask, they're not going to be on your show. So you're not any worse off. So on my list is there's a, you know, I haven't, I haven't developed the cojones to ask yet, but there's, it's a, a Texas band, uh, Blue October, okay. who I don't even listen to all that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I'm more into my pod- podcast era of yeah. listening right now. But 
my husband played Blue October when I was in the coma. He would put one earbud in my ear and one in his. And okay. this is back in the days of the little iPod Nanos. And so he could see what had I been listening to lately. And there was only like, I don't know, six hours worth of music loaded on it. And a lot of it was Blue October. And my I got real close to death several times during that span of time. It, my heart rate would go way up and my blood pressure would go way down. And that's a bad combination. Mm-hmm. And my husband would put the music in and my heart rate would come down and my blood pressure would rise to normal mm. human blood pressure levels again and so i met the band a couple of times at like meet and greets or at shows that sort of deal and they call me coma girl okay but i just haven't i haven't reached out i haven't gotten organized enough and i haven't had the cojones to to ask them but it turns out i have a friend in common with the band so it's on the list i want to have them come on and i'm and i just have to get out of my own head about it because the worst that happens is they say no yeah but otherwise, you just ask. You never know. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you pitch the podcast and where to contact you. But before I do, I want to thank you for joining me. This was a lovely conversation. I appreciate your time so much. I end every podcast with the Mary question. So if you are checking out this podcast, because you are normally listening to Kate do her podcast, Thank you for checking me out. Jay Armstrong was an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He is now retired. Uh, But when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would explore it. They would talk about the, the choice of Bruce's lyrics. They would talk about the imagery that the song uh, is portrayed and then would ask, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Kate, that is your question. And I, I honestly have spent a lot of time today rereading the lyrics and struggling with that because Kate doesn't get in the car. Okay. Kate gets her own damn car. There you go. And drives away. And that's okay. what I did at 16. And then I did it because I was in a, an unhealthy home life but also surrounded by a lot of disappointments and a lot of wondering what else what's out there in the world and i decided nobody was going to come along and pick me up and so i had to get my own car and go and that's what happened but i know mary in or whatever the other names are that have been in the song angelina and christine and I've heard other names that have been put yeah. in that, but I know that girl. I know that woman. I, I know people who have been taught that they have to wait to be rescued mm-hmm. or maybe who don't have the resources to get their own damn car. And so maybe, maybe that's the answer. Uh, for for some people i can't if you're unhappy enough in your life or, or unhappy may not be the wrong right word but if your life is not the right fit for you and you find a way out whatever that way out is is the right answer so if this is a very psychologisty answer i know i'm aware but that's what i feel about it is that 
I, I don't know, but I don't judge her either way. I also don't judge her if she goes back in the house, turns off the radio, and goes to bed that night. I think that is an absolutely wonderful answer. Thank you. I think I like that. I like that answer a lot. Very well done. All right, Kate, someone wants to reach you. What's the best way? I am on all of the social medias, and I do mean all. <laughs> I don't use them all super frequently yet because I'm waiting to see where everybody migrates as Twitter slash X has continued to disintegrate. But I am on all of them at IWB podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. I have a Facebook group. I have a Discord server, all of the things, and I'm online way too much. Reach out anytime if people are just bored and looking for somebody to talk to. I'm around. Thank you, Kate. That sounds wonderful. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your heart and your personal journey. This made for a wonderful conversation. And I am thrilled that I got to meet you. This was just a joy for me. Thank you. All right, listeners, go check out the podcast. Go check out her website. Follow her Facebook page. And I just want to end with, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, listeners. Be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, that listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.